I read the story about a guy that uh, had run into an old girlfriend and had invited her out for coffee. And in the process, he was telling her that he was an accountant. Steve, you'll appreciate this joke. Uh, he was an accountant, but he had, uh, you know, he had changed uh, you know, his career. He was going to become a writer. And she said that she was really impressed with uh, you know, the people that followed their dreams and wanted to know if uh, he had sold anything yet. And he says, yes, I have sold my house, my car, my stocks, and my bonds. <laughs> hey, by the way, Steve, or Steve and uh, Candy Markley are with us this morning. Let's give them a warm welcome. Steve was involved in our men's ministry. Candy was a church secretary for a while, and they are down visiting from uh, Farmington. We're glad that you're here. God bless you guys. I want to, um, let me just share a word of encouragement for you as our, our young Handsome men and women come forward. They're already here. And um, I know I'm, I'm sure there, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there's not a, a rush, a mad rush, you know, to be up here. Numbered among the handsome and the beautiful men and women. Um, um, you know, you guys, I, I want to just share this. Uh, this is a story. There's a lot of Old Testament stories that really kind of, you know, stick to my heart. But this is one of them that's really dear to me because, you know, when it looks like everything is failure. And I know that we've been in these places in our lives where it just looks like, man, I, I'm going under. I mean, I, you know, it's just like, you know, Jesus is, isn't even there. I'm walking on the water like Peter, but, you know, I'm crying out, save me. And I don't see God. I don't see Jesus. I don't see any help or hope at all. I'm just going down. And, uh but I, I want to I read this story to you this morning from uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And this is about the siege at Samaria. And uh, if you don't know the, the story, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, briefly cover it for you so you get a, a feel for what it's like. But, um, it, you know, the Israel, nothing's changed since God created the nation of Israel. Uh, the, the nation has been surrounded by enemies. And there are, there are states uh, and nations that surround Israel today Whose, whose charter and whose constitution, you know, s states that they want to see, that they will give everything that they have, they will spend the rest of their life in order to see the destruction of Israel. And at this time in Israel's history, Israel had kind of fallen away from God. And the Bible tells us that when we, in Deuteronomy 28, we read this uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, about the blessing and the cursings of God, that when we fall away from God, we lose God's favor and his protection. And that's where Israel is at this time. They were, uh, they were serving an ungodly king. An ungodly king was leading them. And one of the nations rises up to come against them. And this is called the siege of, of, uh, Sir, of Syria. Um, it says King Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And uh, it says, and there was a great famine in Samaria. So what happens is that the king comes, you know, the, if you've ever been to Israel, um, the, the city is surrounded by huge walls, and that's the way you protected yourself from the enemy. Uh, but uh, if you couldn't go in or out through those walls to bring in food and water and supplies over a period of time, those resources were depleted. And so the king is there and has uh, uh, um, Samaria under siege, so they can't go in or out. And uh, they got so desperate. Now listen to me. They got so desperate that they were selling. The Bible talks about the head of a donkey. 
I mean, can you, when's the last time you bought one of those, uh, you know, home for lunch? You know, uh, but seriously, uh, I mean, they, and it was selling for a lot of money. And then it got to the point where women were actually eating their own children. And, uh, I mean, it was desperate, desperate, desperate times. It says, but there were four leprous men, and they were outside the city gate. They couldn't come inside the city, so they, they, they spent their time right at the, the gates, the entrance of the city. And they, you know, they, they see all this going on in the city. And inside the city is famine and desperation. And outside the city, you know, the, um, the, the Syrian army is there. And the Syrian army is huge. And they've got all the supplies they need to outlast the people inside the wall. And these lepers are there. And they, it's kind of like the prodigal son where it says that he came to his senses and decides to go back to his father's house. It's kind of like King Nebuchadnezzar after living seven years, you know, eating like a wild animal, you know, uh, eating grass and, you know, out, you know, just kind of an outcast. Even though the people recognized him as king, uh, the guy had lost his mind. Pride had overtaken him, and he was cast out like a wild animal, living just like, you know, with, you know, like the wild animals would live. But there comes a time in his life at the end of that seven-year period where it says that he too came to his senses. And so we pick up this story here about the four leprous men that were at the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Uh, He says that if we enter the city, the famine in the city uh, will die there. And if we sit here, we'll die here. Now, therefore, let us go and surrender to the army of the Syrians. And if they keep us alive, we will live. Maybe they'll just, what they were saying is, maybe they'll just take us as prisoners and we'll live. He says, um, and he says, uh, and if they keep us alive, we'll live. And if they kill us, uh, then we'll only die. Because they recognized they were only a few days away from death anyway. And so they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. And they looked to one another and they said, Look, the king of Israel has hired the kings of the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and they fled at twilight and they left the camp intact. And their tents and their horses and their donkeys and they fled for their lives. And, they, and these, uh, when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and they ate and they drank. Now think about what's happening on the other side of the wall where, you know, the children of Israel are. I mean, they're starving to death. But when these lepers walk into this tent, I mean, there's plenty of food and there's gold and there's silver and there's, uh, you know, there's livestock and, and there's plenty of food. And it says they went into the tent, they ate and they drank, and they carried from it the silver and the gold and the clothing. that was. And they went and hid some. And then they came back and entered the tent again, and they carried some also and went and hid it. And then they said to one another, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we remain silent. I want to say that to the church, that we've got a lot of good news, but we keep silent about. There's a lot of good news, a lot of good things that God does in our life that we don't share. We don't tell other people about. But... Because they were being led by God, they said, you know, this is the day of good news. And if we remain silent, if we wait until the morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called the gatekeeper of the city and told him, saying, when we went to the Syrian camp, 
and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys that were tied and tents that were intact. Well, the king didn't really believe them, so he sent a small crew in and realized that everything that, you know, the, the, the lepers were reporting was true, that everything was there. Every tent had food and gold and silver in it. Guys, I want to just tell you that the only thing that separated the children of Israel that were dying inside the walls from all of the supplies that were only the other side of the walls was the wall. There was a wall there. And I'm going to just ask you this morning, is there a wall between you and something that God wants to give you this morning that you're afraid to pass through? See, these lepers just say, they just said, you know what, we stay here, we're going to die. We can't go in. We're really not welcome inside the gates of the city because we're lepers. But if we stay here, we're going to die. I'm going to tell you, if you stay in a place that God does not want you to stay, there's no nourishment, there's no life there, and you will die in that place. But if you have the faith and the boldness to believe that God has got something better for you, and you go ahead and cross on the other side of the wall, you may not know what's on the other side of the wall. And fear will hold you back. Fear will imprison you. It will keep you in the place that you're in today. It will keep you from changing jobs. It will keep you from, you know, making relationships because you've been burned in one and you said, I'm, because I've been burned, I'll never marry again. I'll never love again. I'll never give myself to someone again. You know, it keeps you from promotions at your workplace. It keeps you, it holds you back. There's a wall there. And God said, listen, listen to what the psalmist said in, in, in Proverbs. Solomon wrote, wrote this down. He said, you have turned on my light. I like that. I mean, here we are at the light. He's talking to God. He says, you have turned on my light. The Lord my God has made my darkness turn to light. Now in your strength, I can scale any wall, is what he says. I can attack any troop. What a God he is. How perfect is his every way. And all of his promises prove to be true. He is a shield for everyone that hides behind him. For who is a God except our Lord? But he is our rock. And he fills me with strength and protects me wherever I go. And he gives me a sure-footedness of a mountain goat upon the crags. And he leads me safely along the tops of the cliffs. And he prepares a place for me. Even in battle, he gives me strength so that I can draw a bow of iron. That's a God that we serve. That's a God that wants to save you right now. That's a God that wants to move in your life right now if you'll just give him the opportunity. Oh, Father, we bless you. We praise you for your goodness, God. We thank you so much, Lord, for the blessings that you poured out on us and the great things that you want us to do. Lord, help us to overcome the fears and the giants that are in our life, Lord God. Help us to scale that wall. Help us to get up over that wall to the other side, to the blessings that you have for us, to the, the just the change in life that you have for us, God. We understand that you don't want to keep us in one place, that you want us to move on to advance the kingdom of God, to promote the kingdom of God and the glory of your name. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're taking up our offering now. Welcome to the Light at Mission Viejo. Here's what's happening in the month of February. The Christian Kinship Singles Class invite anyone single and over the age of 30 to join them for their study called Book of Revelation. They meet the first and third Tuesday of each month at 6 p.m. here at the church. Contact Karen Baldsley for more information. 
Her contact information is located in the back of your bulletin. Join us the second weekend of each month for a trip down to Mexico to work with the girls in the orphanage. We leave Friday evenings and return late Sunday afternoon. Contact Jim or Pat Noble to reserve your space in the van. If you are a new believer and are wanting to build a strong foundation in your walk with God, then you won't want to miss our class entitled, I'm Saved, Now What? This class will teach you how you can improve your walk in Christ. Please join us on Sundays from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. The class will help you build the strong foundation you need and will help you to understand what your salvation means and how you can grow in Christ. Classes are led by Donald Montoya, so please see him for details. Are you or someone you know suffering from any hurts, habits, or hang-ups, such as hopelessness, abandonment, people-pleasing, or codependency? Celebrate Recovery has started 12-step studies. Men's meet on Tuesday nights and women's on Thursday nights. Not sure what a step study is? Come by the information kiosk after the service or contact Mark Broughton. His contact information is located in your bulletin. For the next three months, we will be collecting change or bills for the children's ministry. You will find the change jar at the welcome kiosk before and after the service. Please join us for any one of these events. You can refer to your bulletin or our website for further details. here that day but uh uh you know we, we just finished a series on um uh, giving god our first and giving god our best and some of you had uh you know some incredible testimonies and we asked for testimonies and and i've heard a couple if you've got one i want you to share it with me because i want to share it with the congregation but uh cara ashbaugh shared one with me that i think uh, is well worth hearing and cara where are you I right, give Cara a warm welcome as she comes up here. Morning. Um, oh, I know I'm short. <laughs> We've been coming to um, the Light and Capital Christian for um, thirty some years now. My husband was a member back before there was even a building. And um, we've been married 30 years, and a lot of you who have been here a while know that we've been through some um, real financial hardships. Um, my husband's been laid off twice, and um, we have five boys. That by itself will put you in. <laughs> just trying to feed, yeah, just trying to feed five teenage boys will put you in debt for sure. Um, so the latest thing that's been going on in our life is Brian was laid off at the labs uh, back in September, and we kind of knew that that was coming. So I had taken a job here at the school again to try to make ends meet. And so we spent three and a half, almost four months without a job. And um, in that time, um, you know, how, how does God do that? I don't understand. But we we continued to, to, um, to trust him and to tell our kids that um, we were trusting God and to not change things, you know. We're just going to keep doing what we need to do. We cut the expenses that we could cut, and uh, every month enough would come in. We didn't get behind on any of our bills. We're in very little debt as it is. We have one car payment and a mortgage. That's it. Um, everything else is, you know, incidental bills that come in like everybody else's. And, and um, 
everything was great until Brian got a job. <laughs> and then unemployment stops instantly. But you don't get your first paycheck for like a month. <laughs> and we were really not sure how God was going to take care of that. And um, a couple of Sundays ago, somebody said, you know, we'd like to help you. What do you need? And I said, well, you know, we're, we're really good. Brian's got a job, and, and things are good. We're just waiting for that first paycheck. And he said, come out to the car. And he gave me an envelope. And when I got home, I opened it, and there was $1,000 in it. <laughs> but, you know, what I didn't tell you is that, you know, through all of this time, God's been telling us to tithe. And Ron's been teaching on tithing, and Ron's been teaching on keeping your finances in order, and we've been tithing. And we've been giving above our tithe when God's been telling us to give. And every time there's been a situation where I've started to waver in my faith, my boys have called me and said, Mom, don't you remember what God did? Don't you remember that time that we prayed because we had a box of Cheerios and a gallon of milk, and that was it? That was all we had left. We prayed over breakfast. We thanked God for breakfast. And by the time we came home at lunchtime, there were groceries all over our front porch. Don't you remember what God did, Mom? So I want to encourage you, if God's telling you to give and it feels like it's more than you've got, if God's telling you to tithe and you don't understand how that's going to happen, do it anyway. <laughs> Our job is to do what God says. God's job is to do what he says he's going to do. He says if we do what we're supposed to do, he'll do what he's going to do. And not only has he done that, but he's allowed my kids to see us walk through these times that have been really tight. And my boys have this incredible faith that I know they wouldn't have had if we hadn't walked through seasons like this. Thank you, Cara. Listen, if God has done something great in your life uh, with regard to tithing and, and, and uh, financial blessing, I want to ask you to just share that with me. I've got a couple more stories that I know you're going to love to hear, and we'll share them over the next couple of weeks. Let's give a warm welcome to Benjamin. We love you, man. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Let me get my notes all situated. Do me a favor. Can you guys high-five seven people next to you? Make sure you only get seven, no overachievers. Just a moment ago, I sat down next to Jason, and we tried to high-five each other, and it was one of those really awkward moments where I went for one of these, and he went for one of these, and then at the end, we just kind of did one of these because we didn't know what was going on. I'm hoping that happened to at least 10 of you in this room because it was embarrassing. That's the only reason I just did that. I need you to share in my embarrassment from a few moments ago. So if we could all just bow our heads, close our eyes as we open up in prayer. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Jesus, just this life, God, even, God, even when it hurts. Lord, we, we know, Jesus, that you're so good, Father. We thank you for the gift of testimony, Lord, to be able to listen to our brothers and sisters, God, and see you working in their lives, Lord, and 
and that we can hope, God, we can, we can hold on to you, God, as an anchor to our soul, Father, to know that you are bringing good things for us because you are a good Father, that you love us. Lord, this morning as we get into this message, Jesus, I pray that you would, uh, God, move through me. Lord, I, I ask that you would help me step aside, God, and that your spirit would just take lead, Father, in everything we do here. Lord, open up our hearts, God, I pray that we as your people would soften our hearts, Jesus, that we'd be open to everything you're about to say to us, and uh, know that your spirit would just be all over this place. We know you're here, God. May we, may we be open to the fact that you're here. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so we're talking about community. And uh, last week, we talked about this idea as of, of we are family. So look at somebody next to you and remind them, hey, we're family. Okay. We are family. Yeah, and I, was, I was hoping at least three people would bust out in a song. We are family. Yeah. I don't know the rest of the words. That's a good song, though. We are family. Now look at the person next to you and say, even when it hurts. Now let's put it together. Say, we're family even when it hurts. So this morning's message is titled, Even When It Hurts. Um, as we go throughout this series, as we finish up this series, rather, and we're starting these community groups, um, and by the way, we have a, a map out there. We have a legend. We're still finalizing it, putting it all together, but there's contact information out there for you as a church so you guys can uh, contact the group leaders and get plugged in to these small groups, to these community groups. And there's three words that we're focusing on. The one from last week was connect. So everybody say connect. Connect. So this was this idea. We talked about the story of the Good Samaritan last week. I just briefly covered it. And there's these, there's these characters that Jesus kind of brings out from Scripture. And he, we start out with this lawyer, this lawyer who's asking these questions to Jesus. And, and Jesus tells this parable of this man walking down a road, and he gets beat up, and he's left half dead on the road. And all these different people, they come by, and, they just, they, they, and, they, and each one has a different response. And we talked about the lawyer, and the lawyer's response to the person was it, was, it was just somebody to discuss, it was somebody to talk about. And as we get into the rest of this, uh, this series, I just want to ask us that question, how many of us fit into that category? That when we hear about somebody's struggle, when we know something's going on, our response is that of the lawyer, it's something to discuss, it's more something to talk about with others, it's more something to, to, to be really just talking about it, not doing much about it. That was the attitude of the lawyer, something to discuss. Then we had uh, these two men, the priest and the Levite. Both of these men are religious leaders in their time. And uh, they're coming from, from one of the temples in Jericho, from their holy things, their holy rituals that they were just doing. And both men just pass by their fellow Jew who's just half beaten, half dead on the floor. And so we asked the question last week, how often do we take the approach where somebody's mess is just too messy? Where somebody's life is just a little bit too dirty for us to get involved. And so rather than approach the person, we try to avoid the person. We walk to the other side of the road. And this is the attitude that Jesus is talking about in this parable. So we have this person who's all about gossiping. Then we have this person who's all about avoiding people because they're too dirty. And then he brings out this Samaritan. We talked about the Samaritan was this, this, this character that in biblical history was not a friend to the Jews. This is a person that would, if, if, we, could, if we could tell, if we could say that there was an enemy at this time, 
besides the Romans, it would be the Samaritans. Again, I said, I said last week, part of the Jewish way, uh, their prayers, they would end their prayers with the statement, and God, do not remember the Samaritans' prayers. That was the kind of animosity that existed between these two cultures. And Jesus brings the Samaritan, and he elevates him to this place as a hero. And so to the Jews, this is so counterculture. This is so just, just wrong, just off. And so they hear Jesus says in the Samaritan, even though the religious leaders just avoided this person, even though you and I are just discussing this person, the Samaritan went to the man, got down on his hands and knees. He, he, he bound up his wounds. He picks him up. He puts him on his own donkey. He walks him, takes him to an inn, and he pays the innkeeper 24 days worth of food and care. 24 days worth. And then he tells him, if there's anything else that you need, I'll cover it when I come back. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, he asked the lawyer this question. He says, which one do you think did the will of the Father? And the lawyer says, well, the one who had mercy, I suppose. The one who had mercy, I suppose. And Jesus just ends it with this idea, this phrase. He says, now you go do likewise. Go do likewise. And that's the, that's the call for us as community. This is really what we're centering this whole thing around. You go do likewise. We talked about um, the redwood trees and how it's not so much, I mean, these are trees that have been, again, they've been standing for over 2,500 years. They're over a football field high. Huge, these massive things. Forests of them. But it's not the depth of their roots that keep them strong. It's the width of their roots that keep them strong. It's by connecting to the other trees around them that they are strong, that they're able to endure. They have endured 2,500 years of storms, 2,500 years of floods and winds and hurricanes and these things. And it's all about their connection to one another. Now, Depth is important. I want to make sure I clarify that before I move on to my sermon this morning. I'm not saying don't go deep, but I am saying don't go deep if you're not going to go wide. There's no point in us having religious knowledge and theological understanding if we don't have relationship with people. It doesn't mean anything. It does not mean anything. The religious people of Jesus' day, I mean, these were, these were people with like what we would consider like doctorates of theology. And Jesus tells them, Heaven is staring you in the face, and you're missing it. God is staring you in the face, and you're missing it. So last week, all about connect. Everybody say connect. Connect. All right. We're going to get into this verse, Ecclesiastes 4.9. This is kind of my, um, one of my main verses that, that I just kept coming back to um, as I was studying this idea of community, companionship. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. That's like what we talked about with the Good Samaritan. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So our first word was connect. Our second word is protect. Everybody say protect. Protect. One more time, everybody say protect. All right, I want you to look at the person next to you on both sides and say, I will protect you. One more time, say, hey, I'll protect you. All right, good. Now you guys know who your bodyguards are. It's good. It's very good. 
You could call them up on the weekends if you guys have an issue, any problems or anything, give that person a call. So protect. Now, the Good Samaritan, it's an incredible story. But as I was studying it, see, the Good Samaritan, it's, it's this man who comes into this guy's life. He comes into this person's life after the battle. After the battle had been done, after this guy had been beaten and bruised and left there half dead, the Good Samaritan comes and he, he brings healing into his life. He, he binds him up, you know, and he takes care of him. He provides for his needs. But that's only a part of what community is about. You see, as we start these community groups, as we, as we start getting connected as a church, and, and that's our whole goal, man, the whole point of us being in this place together so we can connect with one another and share the life of Christ with each other. Now, this man, the battle had already been fought. He lost. A lot of us are coming from these bad circumstances, bad relationships, bad environments or homes or whatever the situation is, and we're hurt, we're broken, we've been beat up by life. And these community groups, the first part of this is that we can find healing with one another. We can, we can help each other in this process of restoration, but that's not where it stops. That's not where it stops. Jesus isn't just about fixing broken people. He's also about making these broken people whole so that they can bring restoration to others around them. So these aren't just healing groups. These aren't just groups where we can talk about all our problems. That's a part of it. But then there's a second part of it. It's during the battles. When battles arise, we protect. Not just after the fact, but in the middle of it. As something comes into our lives, we're there to have connection with each other so that we can stand our ground with each other. So look at the person next to you say, I will protect you. Again. There's a story, uh, Pastor Ron had, had been teaching from the book of Nehemiah. There's a story in Nehemiah, really the whole story is uh, Ezra was allowed to take the Israelites back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. But as he gets there, he brings all these people, but there's, real, there's not really any organization. There's no like, actual like, healthy government. The city's walls are just destroyed and torn down. And so when Nehemiah comes, and he, these two men, are, they're, they're, they're parallel in history. They're going down the same path together, Nehemiah and Ezra. And Nehemiah, he gets interested. He gets concerned for his people because the walls of the city are torn down. Now, the city, the city walls, man, this was so vital for any nation of this day. If a city didn't have walls, a city would not survive. Without walls, without something to protect them, there was no survival for them. And so you see within the nation of Israel in the time of Nehemiah, there were raiders. There were these people just coming as they pleased in and out of the city, taking whatever they wanted, doing whatever they wanted because there was no wall. There was no protection in these people's lives. So Nehemiah takes it upon himself and he begs the king. He asks him, he says, allow me to go rebuild these walls. And there's so much that we could teach from Nehemiah, but that's not the focus this morning. The king allows him to. So he goes, and his first, his, his big, the big task for him was we need to rebuild these walls. Obviously, the nations around Israel weren't very pleased with this. They weren't very happy with the fact that there's walls now being built. They're going to keep them from getting what they want, when they want, how they want. So there's a whole group of men whole group of nations that they're, they're just, they're attacking Nehemiah. They're attacking the people. They're mocking them. They're doing everything they can to discourage them from rebuilding their protection, from rebuilding the walls that kept them safe. 
And this is where I want to pick up just briefly in chapter 4, verse 15. The enemies, they had a plan, and God totally throws off this plan. How many of you know that if God is for you, no one could be against you? Amen? Amen. This is incredible. It says in Nehemiah 4.15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, their plan, and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. These are people that are under attack. And Nehemiah, God, God gives Nehemiah this, this opportunity. He gives him this, this insight so that they don't have to deal with the attacks of the enemy anymore. That there's a way to structure this. There's a way to organize the rebuilding of the wall in a way that the enemy can no longer do what the enemy planned to do. It was this. It was a strategy. It was while you build your wall, I will protect you. While you rebuild your wall, I will protect you. There's this, I think I have it in the verse, actually, I'm not too positive, but it says, there's a word held right there in verse 16. It says, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows. If you look at the Hebrew, that word, that word held is the exact same word that we translate encourage. Exact same word. They held spears. You see, encouragement isn't just this idea. It's not just words. Encouragement is action. Encouragement says that when we get connected, I care so much about you that I know that there are things in your life that you need to get reestablished. So while you work on your wall, I will hold the shield. I will hold the spear. I will hold the sword. I will combat the enemy on your behalf because it's your responsibility to rebuild your wall but it's my responsibility to protect you. Look at the person next to you, say, I'll protect you. Sometimes we have to hold a spear to protect our brothers and sisters while they rebuild their walls. This is an aspect of community. Then there's this other aspect of community where there's this idea of even that word encourage, the very word encourage means to give somebody courage, to give someone your courage. Something that you have that you think you feel maybe they're lacking and I'm going to give you something from within me and place it on you. I'm going to equip you with what God has equipped me. Encourage. There's another story, 1 Samuel 14. King Saul has a son. and that's, At this point in history, King Saul, he's just off. He's just off the wall at this place, at this point. He's not connected with God anymore. He's walking in rebellion. David's been anointed as king already, and uh, really for, for the future, so he's not king just yet. Saul's still king. Saul has a son named Jonathan. Jonathan is the exact opposite of Saul. This story that we find in 1 Samuel 14 is actually sandwiched between two stories about Saul. Both stories about Saul show Saul's cowardice. The story in 1 Samuel 14 shows Jonathan's bravery and courage. There's this moment. Saul's underneath these pomegranate trees with his entire army, and they're just hanging out down there, not doing what God's called them to do. They're afraid of the Philistine army, so they're just relaxing and hanging back, not advancing into the territory God had called them to. Jonathan is just him and his armor bearer. We don't even know the armor bearer's name, but he's really the hero of this story for me anyway. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and he says, he looks off into the distance, he sees a garrison of Philistine troops. There's about 30 men. 
about 30 Philistines. And they're just, they're just doing what they do. Now, they're up on top of a cliff. Who's ever been rock climbing? Anybody? More of you than I expected. That's really impressive. That's awesome. Okay. There was one time I went to uh, Hinkle Family Fun Center. Everybody, everybody's been there, I think, right? Yeah? When I was a teenager, I thought I was awesome. And so it was, an, it was a pretty cool moment. But I decided I was going to climb the rock wall with just my arms, no legs. And I did it. And it was awesome. And I felt really cool about myself. And you guys should clap for me because it, it was an achievement, okay? It was, it was a real achievement. But afterward, I could not move my arms for anything. Like, literally could not move my arms. It was, that. It was, it was really sad. The thing about this story in 1 Samuel is that the garrison of troops, the garrison of Philistine troops is on top of a rock wall. They're stationed up on top, so they have the advantage. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer, and he says, hey, 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 dude, I got, a, I got an awesome idea. Let's climb that wall. Remember, they have armor, shields, swords. He says, hey, let's climb that wall, and let's just go take out all 30 of those dudes. No biggie. He says this, maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe God will be with us. Maybe God will go with us and, and, and give us this battle. Here's the highlight of this story for me. The armor bearer looks at him. He says, Jonathan, do whatever's in your heart because I'm with you as your heart is with you. I will support you in whatever it is that you feel God is calling you to do. The two men climb this rock wall. They get to the top. Jonathan runs in front of his armor bearer. He runs, and he would push the Philistines down to the ground, and his armor bearer would come behind him and stab him when they're on the ground. The Bible's awesome, by the way. There's really awesome Bible war scenes. You should read it. And they win. It says, in that day, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed about 20 Philistine troops. And you know what this did? This sparked a moment. This sparked courage in the Israelite army so that they went and destroyed the rest of the Philistine army. The armor bearer gave Jonathan his courage. He said, I will be with you to the end. I will protect you. Look at the person next to you say, I will protect you. As I study this, I think about these questions and one of the big things for me is I think we get to this place where it's like, but, but that, that's awesome. That sounds really awesome. But how? How can I love people that way? How can I commit to people that way? How can I establish relationships that way? And I thought about John 15. And this should be in the overhead. It says, as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Look at the person next to you. Say, is your joy full? Let's rephrase that. Say, hey, are you joyful? It goes on in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
I just want to expound on this. There's this phrase that really hit me, and God just really kind of pulled some pieces together for me that I never connected before, and I want to help you connect these as well. In verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If I go back to Nehemiah, there's a verse where Nehemiah tells the people something like this. He says, Do not be grieved. Do not be afraid. Do not be sorrowful, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So Jesus is saying, I want your joy to be full. I want it to be filled to the top. And then he says, I'm telling you all of these things so that your joy can be full. What things is he telling us? His commandment, love one another. What I drew out of this was that the fullness of joy that we're after, the wholeness, the purpose of life that we're so hungry for as human beings because God created us for this, is love. Love for one another is what leads us to fullness of joy. Love for one another is what leads us to the fullness of joy. And Jesus says, but you have to abide in me. So how do I do this? How can I love people like this? Because I think about, I'm so consumed with the whole idea and fact of how much Jesus loves me. And as I reflect on the love of God towards me, it's natural for me to then reflect my love towards you. As we abide in him, we obey his command to love. As we obey his command to love, we find fullness of joy. And fullness of joy is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? But all this comes from connection to Jesus. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. Now, again, look at the person next to you and say, hey, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. There's a struggle. There's a difficulty. Community is not without struggle. The struggle of community is conflict. Conflict. Who's ever been involved in some conflict? Some good old-fashioned conflict. Yeah? It's good stuff. We're going to talk about conflict a little bit. So there's this question, and, and, and I've seen this, and I've lived this, and I've been there, and I haven't been around for very long, so I know even that there's, there's attitudes in our hearts, there's fears in our hearts that say, you know, that church is starting community groups, but, but I, I just don't know. I don't know if that's for me. What if I get hurt? What if I get hurt? What if, what if so-and-so does this to me? What if I share something and somebody betrays my trust? What if I go down this path and somebody hurts me? It's a logical fear. It's something that we all feel. If you haven't felt it yet, you will feel it at some point. What if I get hurt? I just want to just speak peace over us as a church. And I want to rest our minds in this so that we don't have to think about what if I get hurt. Plain fact is you will. Have some peace. You will get hurt. You will get hurt. As we get involved in community, of course you're going to get hurt. You're dealing with human beings. But the sobering idea, the sobering truth is that you also hurt people. What if you get hurt? You will get hurt, but you're also hurting people too. 
There's a balance to it. So that's why Jesus tells us, if you forgive those who sin against you, my Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, he will not forgive. This is why Paul tells us in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Why would Paul tell us to forgive one another if we're not going to get hurt by each other? At some point in this journey together, we will be offended. At some point in this journey together, somebody's going to do something that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Jesus says, forgive. Paul says, forgive. Again, Jesus says it, I mean, he hits it like hard. Jesus, I mean, this is a big thing for him to say, if you do not forgive your brother, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. That's a huge statement. That kind of brings bitterness and unforgiveness into a whole other perspective, a whole other realm. Things that we hold on to, things that, that, we, that we just feel so justified to hold on to because of the injustice done toward us. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Forgive. Forgive. Bitterness, as I studied, trying to think through this, you know, is bitterness too big of a sin for God? No, it's not that bitterness is too big of a sin for God. It's that bitterness is pride. Bitterness in and of itself is pride. Scripture tells me God opposes the pride, or the proud. God opposes the proud. Why? Because pride opposes God. Pride says, I have the right to hold on to these things. Pride says, I have the right to be upset. Pride is a closed heart. And my Bible also says about hearts that Jesus knocks on the door. He doesn't kick them down. If our hearts, if the doors of our hearts are shut because of pride and bitterness, that's why there's not forgiveness and unforgiving, by like not forgiving people. Because we're surrendering our lives to pride. Our Lord becomes pride, not Jesus. And Jesus is peaceful. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind, and he's not going to break down the door of your heart and force you to forgive people. So what if I get hurt? It's a good thing that we're talking about love. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. It says, love, true love, love keeps no record of being wronged. Love keeps no record of of being wrong. So question for us this morning. I know this is a difficult thing. So who's hurt you? Who's offended you? Love doesn't hold on to those things. Peace doesn't hold on to those things. Now, does God tell us to have peace and to love people because he wants us to just suffer and go through all this stuff? No, it's because God knows what's best for us. And at this point in history, at this point in time, I mean, we have scientific studies that prove to us what bitterness does to a person's body. And science shows us at this point what, what unforgiveness does to a person's mind and the depressions that it sends us into and all of these, the, the, the effects that it has, it shortens, literally shortens our life. God knows what he's talking about when he says, do not hold on to those things. Why? Because God loves you. God wants what's best for you. So what if you get hurt? God says, forgive. Turn the other cheek, forgive. 
I heard this story. Who likes porcupines? Does anybody like porcupines? Yeah? That's a random question. I just want to know if anybody in this room likes, nobody likes, por- everybody hates porcupines in this room. There's like three people that actually like them. Man, that's sad. Poor things. You might like this story then. Okay. So there was a herd, there was this, I don't know if you call it a herd, there was a community of porcupines. It was winter time. A herd of, I don't know if it's a herd of porcupines. I don't know what you call them. We'll call it a community for the sake of the series. There's a community of porcupines, and it's cold outside. It's winter time, and, and it's, it's starting to get dark. The sun's going down, and typically if it's too cold, they have to burrow into the ground to keep warm. But at this particular location, the ground was frozen, so they couldn't dig. So they had to huddle up together. They had to get close to one another to stay warm throughout the night. Here's the interesting thing about porcupines. They have quills. And when you get close to something with quills, you get poked, you get hurt, you get injured. But they endured, they fought through it. They knew that if, if we move from here, we're not gonna survive. So they got closer and closer even when it hurt. But there were a couple in the community that couldn't take it anymore. And they decided it's better to just be alone through the night. And so a couple of these porcupines actually split up from the community, from the pack. And by the next morning, only the ones that were in isolation were frozen to death. The ones that chose isolation because it hurt too much were frozen to death. I thought this was so just revealing of God's heart for us even, you know, in the sense of we get close and it hurts. Somebody's quill is going to poke you, you know, it's going to hurt. Somebody's going to have an issue that's going to bother you. But when we choose isolation, we will not survive on our own. You were not created to survive on your own. God said in the beginning, it is not good, it's not good for man to be alone. So what if it hurts? It will. We forgive. We move on. If I value our connection, if we value our connection, then we will protect our connection from whatever may try to divide us, even if the thing trying to divide us is my own pride. If I genuinely value our relationship, then no matter what comes against it, I will protect our connection. This leads us to our third word, grow. Everybody say grow. More time, everybody say grow. I like the enthusiasm back there. It's good. The struggle of community is conflict, but the beauty of conflict is growth. The beauty of conflict is growth. See, conflict isn't completely bad in and of itself. We have this verse, Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We say that all the time. We put that on bumper stickers on whatever we can put a sticker on, we throw it on there. It's on our, ma- it's on our refrigerator as a magnet or something. God causes all things to work together. As a pastor, you know, I have access to um, like Greek lexicons and stuff. So I was studying this verse because I really wanted to get deep into it. And as I, as I looked at that word all in the Greek, it was so intense that it actually meant all. Like, <laughs> okay, Paul, <laughs> no secrets there. There's no more depth to that one. All. If we believe that, then that includes conflict. The struggle, that includes 
the struggle. That includes when I get hurt. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Everybody say all things. So God can cause conflict to work for your good. I had this, this image that God was giving me. It comes out of First Peter, but he was applying it to another area of my life, a relationship that was going through some hardship at the time. And, and we all know what it's like when you're in that fight, when you're in the middle of the heat. And it's just like, man, it would be so much easier to just throw this relationship out the window. It would be so much easier to just disconnect from this person. And God said, no, 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 no. Remember this verse in 1 Peter where our struggles are like fire. And he was telling me that the struggle of conflict is really just the fire that proves what your relationships are made of. Rather, proves what you are made of in the middle of your relationships. You see, things like straw, things with very little value, plastics, etc. what happens in fire, they burn up, they melt they become nothing, but something as valuable as gold is purified through fire. So the conflict, the struggle, it's like fire that reveals who we are in the middle of conflict, in the middle of our relationships. When we just throw it all away, really what's that saying? That is saying is that you really didn't value that connection very much. But conflict can also bring growth. The beauty of conflict can be growth that says, because we went through this fire, because we went through this conflict, our relationship is now more purified than ever before. The conflict is fire that reveals the worth of our relationships. So what happens to your relationships in conflict? What happens when you do get hurt? What happens when it hurts? What does the fire reveal? What does the fire reveal about you, about your life, about your personality? This isn't shame. This is hope. This means, hey, you're saying I don't have to have broken relationship after broken relationship. There's another way. Yes, there's a way. It's called peace. It's called love. It's called forgiveness. It's called Christ. There's a better way. So as I thought about it, I was like, okay, so I'm going to tell the whole church that, hey, the conflict you're going through is okay. It's good, it even. It could even be a good thing. So then my fear was that I had this concern, well, okay, then we're going to end up with a whole group of people going to be like, okay, I'm going to go start conflict however, like whenever I can. I'm going to go pick fights because I want to go through the fire as much as I can. I want to be pure, you know. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to start conflict. Conflict will come on its own, man. Conflict doesn't need help from you. It'll come on its own. That's why Paul tells us, he says, if possible, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. If possible, do all that you can to live at peace or in peace with everyone. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's encouraging. <laughs> but it's the truth. Every moment of every, every day brings hard decisions, brings obstacles, brings conflict. Our job isn't to create conflict, it's to navigate through it with the peace of God. So how, what do I do with conflict? What do I do when conflict arises? And I know that's all the question you guys just had, so I'm really glad you asked. Thank you so much. It leads me, it's like you saw my notes 
or something. You're ready to lead me into this next phase, next little section. Jesus teaches us in Matthew, Matthew 18 how to navigate through conflict. And it's like revolutionary, the things he talks about, especially the first one. It's, it's, it's kind of like just blows our mind how profound Jesus' advice is when it comes to dealing with conflict. He says, talk to the person yourself. That's typically the last thing we do as human beings. Jesus leads with something we all know deep down in our soul, but we are so slow to move down that path. Our path typically as a people, as human beings, it's not just a church or anything, it's just human beings. We want to talk about it with somebody else. This person offended me, so I'm going to go talk to that person. I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to find that person's superior, and I'm going to go get that superior to tell this person how I feel about things. No. Jesus says, talk with the person yourself. First step, talk to the person yourself. Man, if you could apply that to your life, your life will transform upside down. Just that first step. Talk to the person yourself. Then he says, and if, everybody say if. If, Jesus, if they don't listen, then take one or two witnesses. Notice he says witnesses, not allies. A lot of times in our conflict resolutions, we don't get witnesses. We get two of our good buddies that are going to go support us, and we try to corner the person in this conversation and say, hey, we really feel this way about this situation, and we know you need to change. Now it's three against one, and this person's like, dude, I'm out of this conversation. I don't want anything to do with this. Why? Because Jesus didn't say take allies. He said take witnesses. People that can see from both perspectives that aren't trying to get one side or the other to win. They want peace. Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those are the kinds of people you need to take into these conflicts. And then Jesus says, and if that doesn't work. If that doesn't, and at this point Jesus is like, look man, it's going to work. But if it doesn't work, then you can take it to your church leaders. Then you can take it before the church. And then he says this, he says, and then if that still doesn't work, if they still don't listen, then treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. And so a bitter heart's like, yeah, Gentiles and tax collectors, let's hate on those people. Let's kick them out of the church. We don't like them. No. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? With love. With love. What's our approach? Kick them out. We don't want anything to do with those people anymore. They're the bad egg. Guess what? You're a bad egg too, man. A lot of times we're the bad egg as well. So we can't throw that label on people. He doesn't say kick them out. He says treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. The Jewish people would have understood that as let's hate on these people. Jesus' disciples would have been like, well, those are the guys we hang out with like all the time. So you're just telling us to like love on them more? Exactly. Exactly. You love more. There's a little detail in verse 15 that's often overlooked. Jesus says, if he listens to you, this is when you go talk to your brother yourself. He says, if he listens to you, then you have gained your brother. If he listens to you, then you've gained your brother, not you've won the argument. It's not if he listens to you, then you won the fight. He says, you gained your brother. See, Jesus is a lot less concerned about who's right or wrong and a lot more concerned that your relationships are maintained. You win your brother. If you're married, 
try to wrap this up as quick as I can. If you're married, you know that winning an argument is not winning at all. Winning an argument is losing to a whole other level. And you can enjoy that victory by yourself for however long it's going to take. When our focus is winning, we lose. When our focus, let me rephrase that, when our focus is pride, we lose. But when our focus is connection, we will do whatever it takes to protect that connection, including surrendering my pride, including laying down my rights to being right. Our goal isn't to win an argument. It's to protect our connection. It's to allow love, God, to take control. It's then that God's victory brings growth out of conflict, beauty from ashes. This is our God. This is our God. When we live a life of love, this is what he does. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, it all starts with our connection to Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is such a beautiful section of Scripture. We rejoice in our sufferings. When was the last time you called your friend like, dude, I got some good news. Going through a really hard time right now, but it's awesome. God's doing some cool things through this. But that's what he's talking about. I shared this last week. There's a person in our church that, that, that does this all the time. It's Velva. She, she comes to worship practice, and she tells us, you know, I just went through this, through this surgery. I went, I'm going through this health thing, but God is awesome. God is good, and God is loving me, and God is healing me. And she takes this moment of pain. She takes this conflict that so in our own human nature we surrender to, and she says, no, I'm bringing this captive before my father, and I am proclaiming this as good news because my God is good. Amen? We rejoice. We rejoice in our suffering because suffering is simply the hallway to the door of breakthrough. God's leading us from breakthrough to breakthrough. Scripture explains it like this. We're going from glory to glory. But you better believe it's going to be difficult in the hallway. Sometimes there's hell in the hallway. But if we continue, if we endure, if we persevere, if we rejoice in our suffering, it's just a matter of time before that next door of glory is opened up to you. It's just a matter of time before your relationships become more beautiful than you ever thought they could be. It's just a matter of time before you find yourself surrounded with people saying, I am with you as your heart is with you. Do whatever it is that God's calling you and I will be there with you.
It's just a matter of time that you have people surrounding you saying, hey, man, while you're getting your stuff together, I will stand watch. I will hold the sword for you. This is the path of love. God knew what he was doing when he put this thing together. This is what leads to ultimate life here on earth. This is what leads to the fullness of life, to the fullness of joy. So church, if we value our connection in Christ, we will protect our relationships with one another, we, which will cause us to grow not only in moments of peace, but in moments of conflict as well. In the end, communities like marriage vows. It's a lot like marriage vows. In the good and the bad, for better or for worse, in peace and conflict alike, I choose to love you. And because I chose it, there's nothing you can do about it. No matter how much you hurt me, you can't change my decision. I will love you. No matter what you do to the people that I love, you can't change my heart. Because I have a spirit of power, love, and self-control. So I choose you. I choose you. And when the shaking comes, I choose you. When the struggle comes, I choose you. When conflict comes, 